Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and ask that you would be with us during this time as we open the scriptures. Might we learn from them and might we see that you're a God who desires to receive glory from your people. Help us today to know your love and care for us. Might we be used by you for your honor, for your glory in everything that we do and say in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I uh, have chosen to uh, speak from uh, the Hebrews chapter 5 passage. Um, well, kind of. Uh, actually going to, going to speak from that and a couple of other passages. You know, last week we were reminded that it was one year ago that the World Health Organization uh, declared that COVID was a worldwide pandemic. And needless to say, that has changed an awful lot in how we do things and what we do and difficulties that we faced in, in, in a number of different things, in a number of different ways. I can remember being at home, uh, since I'm part-time, I can, I can be at home every now and then. And um, it was in the early stages and it was evident that Satan, a great deceiver, would attempt to use the pandemic uh, to cause the Church of Christ difficulty. And I remember writing uh, a, a text message to the staff uh, on a Thursday morning, and I said, praying very hard this morning that God will not allow Satan to use this time of difficulty to cause disunity in the church. I pray that more than anything else that God will be glorified and then love to you today. You know, this year has not been easy for an awful lot of folks. Whether it's been the pandemic or whether there has been illnesses in the lives of our people or even death for some of those that we know and we love. Or whether it's been family difficulties that we've faced where family is not getting along well or whatever the cause or the hurt might be. It's difficult. But you know, difficulties are not anything new to the Church of Jesus Christ. And so when I began to look at this passage in, in Hebrews chapter 5, I was reminded that the receivers of the book of Hebrews were probably going through some times of difficulty. We don't, we don't know exactly who these folks were. We don't exactly know exactly where they were. Uh, they're Hebrews. Uh, and uh, they are Hebrews who know uh, the scriptures. They're Hebrews who know the Greek language because a lot of uh, what's used is the Septuagint, the Greek translation. But the writer, whoever that writer may be, writes to them because they're experiencing difficulties. Could have been as early as the late 40s when Claudius was emperor. And he, through the Jews, he cast out the Jews from Rome. Uh, he just said, you all have to leave. All you Jews have to leave. Well, at that particular time, the Church of Jesus Christ hadn't been separated, basically, from the Jewish faith. And uh, one of the things that caused this was that there were disagreements within the Jewish community over someone called Crestus. 
uh, a, a, a historian used that uh, spelling, C-R-E-S-T-O-S. Some think that he may have been wrong in the spelling, and he may have been, should have spelled it C-R-I-S-T-O-S, Christos, and would have been referring to the Messiah. And of course, that would have been referring to the times when the Jewish people and those who had followed Jesus were butting heads. And so Claudius simply said, that's enough of this, all of you. Get out of Rome. I don't need this. Or it could have been over in the Neronian uh, time period in about 60, 64 uh, AD, where Nero just decided that he would blame the Christians for burning down Rome, and then he would use them as his own lanterns by uh, dousing them in oil and putting them on, on poles so that they would light the way uh, down the street. So. Those things were there. We're not sure, whatever, whenever this was. But one of the things that we know is that the writer of the Hebrews, the, the, the letter to the Hebrews, wants the people to whom he is writing to know, don't give up on Jesus Christ. Jesus is worth following because he's superior to anything that you might look at. So today... I'd like to show you that God has provided a high priest to whom we can look in our times of need. I would suggest to you three things that caused me to say this. Number one, God has given his people a special high priest. Number two, through the work of that high priest, God's people can come to the very presence of God himself and then have fellowship with God's people and build them up. And the third reason I say that is the high priest should be the focus of every Christian's attention in life. Let's first then look at the passage in Hebrews chapter 5, and you'll have that there in, in, in your um, leaflet. He says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes the honor himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And when you begin to look at this passage, one of the things that we remember is back in the books of the Old Testament, particularly as I've been reading through the Old Testament again in my devotions, one of the things that I came across, and it kind of stuck out to me this year, the people of God came near the mountain of God, and they said, we don't want to be this close. We don't want to be this close because we fear God, and he's liable to kill us. Now, I have no idea why they thought that he would want to do that because they were such wonderful people that followed everything that he said, right? We know that's not true. They knew that they were dealing with a holy God and that they were themselves not holy. And they said, hey, we don't want to get too close. So God said, fine. I will appoint a priest who will stand in your place. And he will be a high priest that will come before me on your behalf. He will represent you to me and me to you. He said he has to come from the ironic lineage. In other words, Aaron is the first high priest, and then his children will become his sons, will become priests after him. Okay? 
so uh, they said, well, that sounds like a good idea. And God said, great, we will have that. Well, we know that they had to offer, when they went in to sacrifice before God, they had to offer themselves, for themselves, a sacrifice because they too had sinned. So they offered a sacrifice for themselves, and then they offered a sacrifice for the people of God. Once a year, they would go into the uh, Holy of Holies with a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. They would be the ones who would go into the presence of God and, re, uh, and, 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 and have the people look to them to represent them before God, and God would bring about forgiveness. Well, when we look in Hebrews, one of the things that we find is that there is a new high priest. This high priest does not come from the Aaronic line. As a matter of fact, this high priest is a very special high priest, and we find that out in the next couple of verses. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, was appointed by him, that is, who is him? The Father. God was going to appoint him, and he said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The first thing that we notice about the high priest that is now going to come before God is that he is the very son of God. And what we know about the very Son of God is this. He humbled himself and came in the flesh, according to Philippians chapter 2, and became one of us. We know in John chapter 1 that Jesus was the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And the Word became flesh, according to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and dwelt among us. So the high priest that we're looking at is none other than God himself in the form of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty special high priest. Right? That's a pretty special high priest. But not only that, the people then might have said, but he's not from Aaron. And the writer said, doesn't matter. He's from the order of Melchizedek. And they went, huh? Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. He was not from the tribe of Levi. But when we look and he becomes a priest after the order of Melchizedek, we were reminded of the, what took place back in Genesis when Abraham went out, conquered a group of people, was coming back, and he met the king of Salem. And the king of Salem's name is Melchizedek which is kind of interesting. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and he's also the king of shalom. He is the king of peace. So when we find that Melchizedek is there, we don't know where Melchizedek uh, was from. He never stopped being a king. There was no ending to the concept of him being as a king. So in this passage, it says, you're my son, today I've gotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. My friends, there is nobody else who can be crowned at this time anymore king of righteousness and king of peace than Jesus Christ. 
He's the one who was perfect. When he went and offered the sacrifice, the sacrifice was not for him. The sacrifice was for the people. But they said, well, how would, you know, we've got a high priest. We're going through these difficult times. How would he know anything about that if he is the son of God and the king of righteousness, the priest after, well, actually he takes care of that, doesn't he? You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. The gospel that we read today says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. If you've got a plan B, Father, let's go for it. Let's go for it. And the father basically says to him, and he basically realizes because what he says then, but for this purpose I came. And I love the way the Greek does this because it uses the strong contrast. This is what I would, I don't want to be separated from you, father. I don't want to take on sin. I'm a holy God. But, and it's a heavy-duty contrast. But you are the one who is to be glorified. This is why I came. Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to draw all men to himself so that he could present them to the Father. So that the Father would be glorified. So he goes on in that passage in John. He says, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I want your name lifted up. I want the name of Yahweh, the great God, to be the one that the world looks at and says, this is the God of all of the universe. This is the God of creation. This is the God of salvation. That's why I came. And God says, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. And how is that? Because Jesus Christ goes to the cross for you and for me. And later in that passage, it tells us exactly how he's going to die. He's going to die an, an, an ignoble uh, death. One that is looked down upon by, by the Romans, by the Jews, in order that you and I can have a high priest before God the Father. Well, since he's done this work of high priest, then according to Hebrews chapter 10, he can, we can stand before the Father. We can enter before the Father himself. And because we can do that as believers together in corporate, we're no longer out there in the desert saying we don't want to get close. You know? We're afraid of this. We can come. I love it. In verse 19 of chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that was opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. What is he saying? Well, he's saying that Jesus Christ is the one who made the way by dying on the cross 
that allows us to go into the very holy of holies where only the, only the high priest could go. Do you see the symbolism here? The high priest was the only one who one day a year could go on the day of atonement into the holy of holies and represent the people. And yet this passage says the curtain that is through his flesh, we are open, it's open to us. On Good Friday, we'll read the gospel message, and one of the parts of the gospel message will be that when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain, the veil, was split from top to bottom by God himself that said, now you have entrance. Don't stay out in the wilderness. Come on in. The sacrifice has been made. And that's what you and I have. We no longer need a priest to represent us before God the Father. We have one. But that priest is also God himself. So that you and I can go to the very presence of God and lay out before him our needs. Whether it's something that's happening with COVID or something that's happening in sickness in our family or death. Or, or family issues, or whatever it is, you and I have the right to go directly to God himself with the problems that you and I have. Our high priest is superior to any high priest that's ever walked upon the face of the earth. Then what does he say? He says, so let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. Let us draw near with sincere hearts. Father Don often reminds us that the, the, the word sincere comes uh, uh, from the Latin sincere, which has the idea of without wax. Uh, we would have potters that would make a pot, and there would be a crack in it, but they didn't want to sell it as a second. They wanted to sell it as a first-class pot, so they put wax in it. And it all looked good, and it would hold water for a while, but then the wax would go, and guess what would happen? It leaked. And he wants us to come with hearts that aren't going to leak out. He wants us to come with hearts that lay before him all that we are. He's opened that for us. Because our heart's been sprinkled clean. Then the second thing he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Love this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Why doesn't he say let us hold fast to the confession of our faith here? Well, they're going through difficult times. What keeps you going when you're in difficult times? Hope. Hope. Number one, that things are going to be okay somewhere along the line. And he's saying to us, the confession that we need to realize that things are okay, that God's in control. God is the one who loves us. He sent his son. And so you and I now can come with a confession of hope. That's why back in, uh, uh, is, uh, I don't see Bill here. All right, I'm exegete that passage. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. 
Don't grieve as those who have no hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, that one day he's going to come back. The dead in Christ are going to arise. Those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together, and thus we shall always be with our Lord. And where is he? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father because he's finished his work. The high priest that you and I have is also the king at whose uh, uh, feet every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you and I have that. We have that hope that no matter what happens in our lives, we have the promise of life eternal. The third thing he says is then let us consider how to stir one another up to good works. The word stir is only used twice, and the other time it's used to stir up anger. It's a pretty strong word, actually. So that makes it even stronger here. You ever had an itch? Agitation? You know, um, maybe you'll get something in your shoe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what he wants us to be is a, an agitation to those who are around us to do good works. Do, do we agitate to do good works? That's what he wants from us. Do we encourage others to do good works? In 1 John 7, it says... But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He says there is an agitation that you and I can have so that we can tell people, we can agitate for good works. Then he says, encourage each other. Do we ask people to come alongside and let's walk with them so that they can be people that God wants them to be? because now they can stand in the very presence of God with us? That's what he wants from his church. He wants his church to be an encouragement to those who know and love Jesus Christ. And then he wants his church to be an encouragement to those who are outside to see how good it is inside. So we call each other to walk alongside. Paul says, Follow my example. Walk with me. Well, how can Paul say that? Because he's walking with Jesus. The only way that we can make that claim to do that is if we're walking with our Lord. The third thing I would suggest to you is that we need to keep our focus on the high priest. If we lose our focus, we will lose our hope. If we lose our focus, we will not realize it is God who needs to be glorified. So over in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Keep your eyes on Jesus, number one, number one, because there are witnesses who have gone through this before and they can give testimony of it. You know, we get this idea that there's this big stadium and we're running this race and all of these people are witnesses to us running this big race. Now, I'm okay with that, but I'm not sure that that's the exact 
way this needs to be interpreted. I think that what he is saying in chapter 12 is, look, we just looked at a bunch of people who went through difficult times. Abel, Noah, Abraham, David, Jephthah, Samson, difficult times. They're the ones who would say to the people of the, that were receiving Hebrews, God is faithful. That's the witness. That's the witness. God is faithful. And we can look in chapter 11 and see how faithful God is. So he reminds us that we have someone that's already gone through this. We've had the Hebrews who have gone through this. Okay? The second thing he says in this passage in verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I love that word looking there. Just has, seems to have the idea of you glance over and you see him every now and then. It's not the idea of that word at all. The idea of that word in the Greek is you focus. Place your focus on him. Not on other things. Don't turn your eyes away. I love what Oswald Chambers said. And this is where they said that I was, you were going to say Thomas slowly. Yeah. My wife reminds me that I need to read the quotes slowly. Yeah, she, he, he had it. Somebody. So thank you very much. Just what I need. Somebody that watches out for my wife. <laughs> All right. Oswald Chambers, anyhow. We've got to get going. Oswald Chambers says, slowly, it requires a conscious decision and effort to keep our primary goal constantly in front of us. It means holding ourselves to the highest priority, year in and year out, not making our first priority. And, and some of you are going to quake when I read this. Okay? You're going to go, he can't say that. Well, I'm going to. Not making our first priority to win souls. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Or to establish churches. That's a good thing, isn't it? Those are good things. Or to have revivals. Uh, <laughs> Anglicans don't know about those things. Oh, I'm sorry. Some, some do. <laughs> some do. But seeking only to be well-pleasing to him. Okay. It is not a lack of spiritual experience that leads to failure, but a lack of working to keep our eyes focused and on the right goal. At least once a week, by the way, Father Don is going to say, as we go to a time of confession, please review your week. This would be a good time for this, okay? Here we go. At least once a week, Examine yourselves before God to see if your life is measuring up to the standard. 
It's not one of the things that we normally think of, is it, when we come to a time of confession. At any goal we have that diverts us even to the slightest degree from the central goal of being approved to God may result in our rejection from further service or him. When you discern where the goal leads, you will understand why it is necessary to keep looking unto Jesus. I must learn to relate everything to my primary goal, maintaining it without interruption. My worth to God publicly is measured by what I really am in my private life. Is my primary goal in life to please him and to accept him, or is it something less, no matter how lofty it may sound? Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying we can have all of these things out here, but our goal needs to be Jesus Christ. And I'm absolutely convinced if our goal is to keep focused on Jesus Christ, do you know what's going to happen? Souls are going to be saved, churches are going to be established, and revival is going to take place. Those of you who uh, grew up in more reform, first question of the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? And enjoy, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, John Piper says, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. When I see that God is the one who has everything that I need, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ as the one who is the author and the completer of my faith, that's what the verse says, he's the one who led the way and he's the one who keeps me. When I do that, then I'm able to be what God wants me to be. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And when I glorify God, I will enjoy life. In conclusion, I loved what Dr. Michael Brown, who he's a writer um, that perhaps you've read, he, he calls this the devil's latest tactic to keep us from the Bible. So replace Bible with the idea of Jesus, okay, here, because it's the same thing. He says, never before have we had so many things vying for our attention. It's just not emails and texts and direct messages on Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp and a host of other platforms all demanding our attention. It's also endless cable TV channels, which are now being overshadowed by endless internet options including the ability to watch almost any past movie or TV show or current sports event by the hour. It's constant social media posts and a 24-7 stream of news and limitless ads pulling us in a million different and oh so interesting directions at once. Of course, we can't blame the devil for keeping us from the word or from Jesus. That is our choice and our choice alone. But we can recognize the temptations of our age, temptations which have robbed us of the stability of, to concentrate, and we can make a fresh determination to put the word of God or Jesus Christ first in our lives. 
I don't know, maybe some of these things are things that you find in your own life. Maybe there are other things. And they might be very good things, but they take our focus off of Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that our focus is on Jesus Christ. The other day when I was uh, on my computer looking at, looking at uh, YouTube, <laughs> trying to keep my focus on Jesus Christ, Actually, it was at that that particular one. It was. <laughs> Can't say it's always that way, but that particular one, I uh, saw a Catholic priest, and uh, for some reason or another, the, and I don't even remember what the what what the headline was, but it caught my attention, and I thought, ah, it's eight minutes. I can listen to it. And he said that he had learned something from Mother Teresa, and he said his sister, who had been um, away from the Lord for a, for a while, uh, called and said, I want to get back. What do I do? And he said, well, let me share with you what Mother Teresa told me that I needed to do every day. He said, Mother Teresa told me that I need to get up. And when I get up in the morning, the first thing that I do is say, good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Jesus. He said, you do that for 10 days and give me a call. He said, she called back on the third day. I didn't answer. She called back on the fifth day. I didn't answer. Ten full days. She called back. And he said, well, she said, every morning I say, good morning, Jesus. And he's there with me to guide me. I'd suggest that in the morning, when you get out of bed, no matter what the day looks like, you say, good morning, Jesus, and you focus on Jesus, the great high priest, because he's the special high priest to whom we can look whenever we have trouble. Amen. Please stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the nice.